I am Elder Hartman Rector, Jr. I am especially pleased to introduce to you this splendid new course on early church history and a verse-by-verse commentary on the Doctrine and Covenants. The commentator for this study is Dr. W. Cleon Skousen, who taught courses on this subject at the Brigham Young University for 10 years. A little later on, when we get over to the body of the Doctrine and Covenants, the texts and the scriptures will be narrated by the famous radio voice of Wendell Noble from California. Now, here is Dr. Skousen. Thank you, Elder Hartman Rector. You are certainly an appropriate person to help us introduce our new study course on the early church history and a verse-by-verse commentary on the Doctrine and Covenants. After your professional career of more than 20 years as a pilot in the U.S. Navy, it was an ideal time for you and your wife Connie to hear the fullness of the restored gospel. With you folks, each restored principle was like a brilliant new spiritual treasure. I think it was your excitement in discovering the gospel that made you so successful in bringing hundreds upon hundreds of staunch new converts into the church. Eventually, you presided over two missions, helped supervise the missionary work of five countries in South America while serving as a general authority of the church. Now, it was that same wonderful spark of excitement which you felt when you discovered the gospel that we have hoped to capture in this new course of study. Let me begin by telling you about a famous American philosopher who wanted God to speak in modern times. His name is Ralph Waldo Emerson, and one of the most famous speeches he ever gave was before the Harvard School of Divinity. It was on July the 15th, 1838, and here is part of that speech. Quote, It is my duty to say to you that the need was never greater for a new revelation from God than now. Men have come to speak of revelation as somewhat long ago, given and done, as if God were dead. The foregoing generations beheld God and nature face to face, but we behold them through their eyes. Why should not we also enjoy an original revelation of the universe? Why should we not have a religion by revelation to us? Unquote. Now, this is from the biography of Ralph Waldo Emerson by Frederick O. Carpenter, page 9. Amazingly, a heavenly revelation had already occurred. Professor Emerson just hadn't heard about it, even though it had happened during his lifetime. What is even more astonishing is the fact that a world-famous historian, Dr. Paul Johnson, discovered that the ingredients for all the principal elements that produced the great modern age of the 19th and 20th century had their beginning during this phenomenal same 15-year period between 1815 and 1830. He therefore wrote a book entitled, quote, The Birth of the Modern World Society, 1815 to 1830, unquote published by Harper in 1991. Dr. Paul Johnson not only missed the fact that God began the restoration of his latter-day kingdom during this same precious 15-year period, but he also missed the amazing coincidence that just as God began speaking to modern man, he also began inspiring scientists, 
inventors, and humanitarians to lay the foundation for what became the most advanced civilization in the history of the world. Someday Dr. Paul Johnson may be astonished to learn that right while he was doing his research for his famous book, there were 10 million members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who could have told him all about the role of God's work between 1815 and 1830. It all began when a relatively uneducated farm boy in western New York named Joseph Smith arose early one spring morning in 1820 to seek a quiet place in the woods where he could ask God for a revelation. He was troubled by all of the competing religious denominations. He wanted to know which was God's one true church. What Joseph Smith did not know was the fact that just about this same time in the spring of 1820, the former President Thomas Jefferson was writing a letter to his friend Jared Sparks, and in this letter Thomas Jefferson said, quote, I hold the precepts of Jesus as delivered by himself to be the most pure, benevolent, and sublime which have ever been preached to man. If the freedom of religion guaranteed to us by the law in theory can ever be realized in practice, truth will prevail, and the genuine doctrine of Jesus will again be restored to their original purity. But too late for me to witness it." Unquote. This is taken from The Real Thomas Jefferson by Andrew Allison, page 366. In other words, Thomas Jefferson thought that in the not-too-distant future, the original gospel of Jesus Christ was going to be restored, but he was afraid it would not be in his time. How amazed Thomas Jefferson would have been if he had known that at almost that very moment, the Father and the Son were about to make their appearance right here on earth. Furthermore, from this moment until Thomas Jefferson died on July 4, 1826, a whole panorama of visions and revelations would be occurring. But he would not get to hear about it because the fullness of the gospel would not begin to be proclaimed to all the world until 1830 and that would be four years after Jefferson's death. Nevertheless, during the last four years of Jefferson's life, some marvelous things had been happening to Joseph Smith. As we have already mentioned, it was in 1820 that Joseph Smith was allowed to converse briefly with the father and the son. It was then he learned that the true church of Jesus Christ was not then upon the earth, but it was soon to be restored. It is also interesting that the father and the son did not choose to appear to anybody at Harvard University or even to Ralph Waldo Emerson. God has always chosen to do his work through humble and obscure servants so mankind would recognize the divine origin of his handiwork and not attribute it to the talents of some learned human being. So God began to speak to mankind in the spring of 1820. By 1823, Joseph Smith had received a continuous series of visitations from a glorified, resurrected servant of God who said his name was Moroni. By 1827, the angel had delivered to Joseph Smith a collection of gold plates 
containing the history of three different nations who had lived on the American continent in ancient times. The names of these three nations were the Jaredites, the Nephites, and the Lamanites. The history of the Nephite nation contained a complete record of Christ's teaching to these people when he came among them. Bible scholars knew that when Jesus was teaching his disciples in Jerusalem, he referred to these American inhabitants as some of his other sheep. He refers to them in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said that they would hear his voice and become one with his disciples in Jerusalem. He visited these other people shortly after his resurrection, and the Nephite history contains all of the teachings to them. Joseph Smith was able to translate this ancient record because the angel Moroni had given him a Urim and Thummim, similar to the one possessed by Moses and Aaron. And that's referred to in Exodus 28 and 30, Leviticus 8 and 8, and Deuteronomy 33 and 8. Through this divine instrument, Joseph Smith was able to translate the unsealed portion of the gold plates into English. By 1830, Joseph Smith had completed the translation and had published this fantastic record of the gospel as taught to the ancient Americans. It has now been published by the millions of copies and is named after the prophet who was its principal compiler. It is therefore called the Book of Mormon. On April 6, 1830, a group of about 30 people who had learned about the restoration of the gospel, met in the home of Peter Whitmer located in Fayette, New York. There, according to direct revelation from the Lord, they organized the Church of Jesus Christ. The Lord indicated that Joseph Smith should serve as the first elder of the church, and Oliver Cowdery was named by the Lord as the second elder. Their names were therefore presented to the congregation for their approval. Once the church was established and the Book of Mormon had been published, people wanted to study the revelations which Joseph had received as the gospel was restored. There were 135 revelations during the life and ministry of Joseph Smith which the Lord commanded should be published. We will be covering each one of these revelations together with an introduction explaining the historical setting in which each revelation came forth. In presenting this study, we will follow the same format as that which we used in the study of the Book of Mormon. The actual text will be narrated by my friend Wendell Noble, and then I will present the historical background and the commentary on each verse. We will now commence our study of the first section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Section 1. Introduction. At this point, we need to remind ourselves that by the fall of 1831, Joseph and Emma were compelled to depend upon the generosity of the saints in order to get the Lord's work accomplished. As a result, they were no longer living in Palmyra or Kirtland, but had been invited to take up residence with the Johnson family in Hiram, Ohio, which was about 30 miles south of Kirtland. At the moment, Joseph's time was completely occupied in reviewing all of the revelations which had been recorded since the restoration of the gospel first began. These were now so numerous that there wasn't time to make copies by hand, 
And yet those who were going out on missions urgently needed copies of these revelations to take with them. The Lord had instructed the saints who had assembled in Missouri to set up a printing press, and Joseph had been instructed to do two things before they were published and distributed as the Book of Commandments for the church. Later, the name would be changed to the Doctrine and Covenants. The first thing Joseph had to do was to receive a revelation from the Lord, which would serve as God's preface to the Book of Commandments. Then he had to present these revelations to a conference of the church and have them accept this volume of Scripture as the commandments of the Lord for the government of the church and the guidelines for the individual lives of those who call themselves members of the church. After Joseph received this revelatory preface, which we will be studying in a moment, it became the first section of the Book of Commandments, even though it carried the last recorded date of any revelation up to that time. This turned out to be November the 1st, 1831, when the Lord dictated this preface to the Book of Commandments. It was on this date that Joseph called together all of those who held a higher priesthood in the vicinity of Hiram, Ohio. And then Joseph designated this gathering as an official conference of the church, according to God's instructions. During this official conference, Joseph asked those who held the higher priesthood to bear their testimonies concerning the divinity of the revelations which would appear in the Book of Commandments. One by one, they each bore a strong and fervent testimony. Joseph then asked these men if they would sign a joint statement to be placed at the front of the Book of Commandments, similar to the testimony of the witnesses which appears at the front of the Book of Mormon. To Joseph's surprise, some of them hesitated. They seemed to have come under the influence of William E. McClellan, who had taught schools in five different states and expressed an opinion that the language and substantive content of the revelations could be much improved upon. Of course, the language and doctrinal content of these revelations was not Joseph Smith's, but the Lord's. The Lord thereupon issued a challenge to these critics, which we will discuss later in section 67. The Lord invited these critics to select the simplest revelation in the entire Book of Commandments and then invite their most learned writer to see if he could compose a writing superior to the Lord's. Whether by choice or by appointment, it turned out that William E. McClellan himself took up the challenge to show that he could substantially improve upon the revelations of the Lord. However, after struggling strenuously for quite a period of time, he finally felt forced to admit that in spite of his boastful talent and training, he suffered the chagrin and embarrassment of having to admit that he had miserably failed to match the simplest of the Lord's revelations, either in style or in substance. As McClellan laid down his pen, the previous critic suffered a sense of contrite humility and immediately agreed to join the rest of the priesthood of the conference in declaring jointly that these commandments were indeed true and divinely inspired. Their testimony has appeared at the front of every edition of the Lord's commandments ever since. 
Now we are ready to start section one of the Doctrine and Covenants and study the revelation which the Lord called his preface to this inspired scripture. Even though it is designated as section one, it was not given to Joseph Smith until November the 1st, 1831. And here is the text. Hearken, O ye people of my church, saith the voice of him who dwells on high, and whose eyes are upon all men. Yea, verily I say, hearken ye people from afar, and ye that are upon the islands of the sea, listen together. This section is one of the most powerful proclamations to be found in any of the standard works of the church. Notice that the Lord begins by calling upon all those who had become members of the church to listen to this proclamation. Then the Lord addresses himself to all the rest of the human family and says, For verily the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and there is none to escape, and there is no eye that shall not see, neither ear that shall not hear, neither heart that shall not be penetrated. Eventually he wants this message to penetrate every heart so that they will be completely aware of the message the Lord is sending out to the whole world. And the rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow, for their iniquity shall be spoken upon the housetops, and their secret acts shall be revealed. Not only will God's messengers carry out the good news of the gospel, but he wants all those who reject this message to know that their sins will not be covered by the atonement. Furthermore, their sins will be broadcast from the housetops, so that their most lecherous secret act will be displayed for all to see. You know, it is one thing to commit sins privately and secretly, but quite another thing to have them show on television. And the voice of warning shall be unto all people. By the mouths of my disciples, whom I have chosen in these last days. And they shall go forth, and none shall stay them, for I the Lord have commanded them. The Lord wants the children of men to know what is about to happen. This is why he is sending forth his messengers to warn the world, and even though they are often rejected and severely persecuted, they will prevail in fulfilling the assignment Jesus has given them. Behold, this is mine authority and the authority of my servants, and my preface unto the book of my commandments, which I have given them to publish unto you, O inhabitants of the earth. Furthermore, the Lord wants the world to know that this introduction to the book of commandments is a confirmation that he has given his servants the authority to proclaim this message and publish the book of commandments to all the world. Wherefore fear and tremble, O ye people, for what I the Lord have decreed in them shall be fulfilled. The Lord cautions the nations throughout the world to carefully consider the ringing message of his priesthood servants, because everything they predict will come to pass. And verily I say unto you, that they who go forth, bearing these tidings unto the inhabitants of the earth, to them is power given to seal both on earth and in heaven, the unbelieving and rebellious, yea, verily, to seal them up 
unto the day when the wrath of God shall be poured out upon the wicked without measure. These servants of God of the latter days will not only have the commission to preach the good news of the restored gospel, but they are commissioned to warn the people of the judgments which are coming soon upon the earth. Those who accept the gospel will be sealed up by these servants of God to be redeemed and receive the fullness of the glorious fruits of salvation. On the other hand, those who reject this gospel message will be sealed up to destruction by fire as described by Malachi in chapter 4 verse 1. This scripture makes it clear that God's wrath will be poured out without measure when it finally comes. Unto the day when the Lord shall come to recompense unto every man according to his work, and measure to every man according to the measure which he has measured to his fellow man. It is interesting that the Lord says the judgment of God at this time will be largely according to the way each person has treated his fellow men. Wherefore, the voice of the Lord is unto the ends of the earth, that all that will hear may hear. So here is the word of the Lord to mankind in these last days. Prepare ye, prepare ye for that which is to come. For the Lord is nigh, and the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven, and it shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. In modern times there are multitudes who have doubted the actual existence of God and spurned his commandments, but now they will see what an angry God can do when his judgment descends upon the wicked. And the arm of the Lord shall be revealed, and the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles, shall be cut off from among the people. The wicked will find themselves completely cut off from the righteous followers of Christ. Even when they mingle together, they will be completely separate. The righteous will be blessed, but the wicked will be cursed. For they have strayed from mine ordinances, and have broken mine everlasting covenant. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of his own God whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old, and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. Students of ancient history are amazed that the mighty empire of Babylon finally fell. But the Lord says the same thing will happen to the wicked Babylon of the latter days. And it is because the Lord knew there would be a great cleansing of the earth in modern times that he raised up his prophet Joseph Smith and restored the gospel to warn the world. Wherefore, I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from heaven, and gave him commandments, The modern offenses against God are like those that brought down avalanches of destruction on humanity in earlier ages. This was because they had deliberately violated the ordinances which God had prescribed for mankind. They had broken the covenants they had made with God. They had gone braying off into the wilderness like the abominable apostates of Babylon of old. And also gave commandments to others 
that they should proclaim these things unto the world, and all this that it might be fulfilled which was written by the prophets. Our Heavenly Father is a God of love and compassion, but He is also a God of justice. He is well aware that these are the last days, and devastating calamities are about to burst upon the wicked. That is precisely why he has hastened his work and raised up a living prophet, even Joseph Smith, Jr., so that he could be instructed by God himself and therefore proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who would listen. The prophets have clearly described what will happen to those who disdainfully spurn this message. Those prophecies will all be literally fulfilled. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones, that man should not counsel his fellow man, neither trust in the arm of flesh. The Lord has deliberately selected the weak to perform this great mission of the latter days, so that the world will realize that it is the handiwork of God and not of man. But that every man might speak in the name of God the Lord, even the Savior of the world that faith also might increase in the earth, that mine everlasting covenant might be established. Through the restored gospel, every man may receive the power to speak in the name of God and proclaim the glorious truths that have now been restored directly from heaven. That the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple unto the ends of the world and before kings and rulers. The Lord intends to spread the restored gospel among mankind so that all the honest in heart may radiate the abundance of faith and will once more establish the fullness of the gospel throughout the earth. The humble servants of God may appear weak and simple in their ministry, but God will make them great in the sight of the high and the mighty, the rulers and the kings. Behold, I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me, and were given unto my servants in their weakness, after the manner of their language, that they might come to understanding. And inasmuch as they erred, it might be made known. And inasmuch as they sought wisdom, they might be instructed. And inasmuch as they sinned, they might be chastened, that they might repent. And inasmuch as they were humble, they might be made strong and blessed from on high, and receive knowledge from time to time. Now the Lord testifies that the commandments of the sacred book of commandments are of God. They have been proclaimed so that the most humble and meek can understand them. By this means they can recognize their sins and diligently repent. They can also learn the virtue of humility, which is the key to their spiritual strength and their ultimate acceptance before God. And after having received the record of the Nephites, yea, even my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., might have power to translate, through the mercy of God, by the power of God, the Book of Mormon. All of the elders of Israel know how weak and uneducated Joseph Smith was when the Lord first reached out to raise him up and give him the precious plates of Mormon and then empower him to translate the writings of the Nephites 
so that they could be studied in the English language and then translated into many other languages. And also those to whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, with which I, the Lord, am well pleased, speaking unto the church collectively and not individually. The Lord says he not only commends Joseph Smith, but also praises those who have been raised up to be his companions. The Lord says it is his intent to give them the power to not only establish the church, but also magnify it and raise it up out of obscurity. He reminds them that this is the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, and therefore the only church which is acceptable to God. He declares that on the whole, he is pleased with the members of the church, but individually there are many who still have many weaknesses. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. The Savior emphasizes that he is not allowed to look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Nevertheless, if they repent and obey his commandments, he can accept them, forgive them, and rejoice over them. Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. Of course, those who do not repent shall not only be rejected from the confines of God's people, but they will lose the glorious light of the gospel they had already received. The Spirit of God is sensitive, and he will not strive with mankind beyond a certain point. Furthermore, once the light is withdrawn, the rebellious saints will lose the testimony which they originally possessed. The history of the church vividly demonstrates that many who achieved high ranks in the kingdom were spiritually decimated when they began to apostatize. And he that repents not, from him shall be taken even the light which he has received. For my spirit shall not always strive with man, saith the Lord of hosts. And again verily I say unto you, O inhabitants of the earth, I, the Lord, am willing to make these things known unto all flesh. He wants all of the inhabitants of the earth to know of his plans and the prophetic events which are about to burst forth upon the earth. He wants them to know that terrible wars are coming, and mankind will see Satan operating among the wicked in his most violent and abominable devices. For I am no respecter of persons, and will that all men shall know that the day speedily cometh, the hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand, when peace shall be taken from the earth, and the devil shall have power over his own dominion, and also the Lord shall have power over his saints, and shall reign in their midst, and shall come down in judgment upon Idumea or the world. Search these commandments for they are true and faithful, and the prophecies and promises which are in them shall all be fulfilled. God commands his saints to search the book of commandments and let the Spirit whisper to the reader the deeper meaning of its most sacred passages. The Lord has personally endorsed the book of commandments 
and eventually every promise in this book will be fulfilled. What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants it is the same. For behold, and lo, the Lord is God, and the Spirit beareth record, and the record is true, and the truth abideth forever and ever. Amen. Now the Lord proclaims a solemn declaration concerning his servants. He says that what the Lord has proclaimed concerning the kingdom is written in the marble halls of heaven and will surely come to pass. Also, not only what he has personally prophesied will come to pass, but this will be equally true of every prophetic word issued from the mouths of his servants when moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the saints can know when their leaders are speaking by the power of God because the Holy Spirit will testify of its truthfulness to them.